0: Everyone. Today is a day of mourning. It's the day after the Leafs get knocked out of the first round of the playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) Man, it's tough, but the Lord is still good and faithful. Even if our hockey team is weak, He is strong. (laughs) What a hard day to get excited to read God's Word. Man, Just heartbreaking. Some of us were just in tears last night. What a day. What a day. Today, though, is not about that. Today is about something more lovely than even the Toronto Maple Leafs. Today's sermon is about the love boat. That's right. The love boat. Do you remember? Take a look. That's right. The love boat. Why is today's sermon about that? I have no idea. That's what Don titled the sermon for me. He titled it The Love Boat. So when some of you think of the love boat, apparently this is what you think of. I've never seen this in my life, but apparently this is what some of you think of, which is good. Now, when some of us think about the love boat, we think about this. This is a Centurion RI-245. And this has a suggested retail price, 229487 That's the love boat. Different generation, right? Same love, just different boat. boat. (laughs) But that's not exactly what we're here to talk about, but we kind of are. Today's story involves an incredible amount of love being displayed at the edge of a boat. But it starts with pain and suffering. Today's sermon is a continuation of John's gospel in the 13th chapter. Today we're reading about Judas' betrayal and the prediction of Peter's denial. So as you imagine, they're sitting around this supper table, sharing communion, sharing a foot washing, and all the while there's one in the room has been prompted by Satan to come against the king. And the king willingly humbles himself to show love to the one he knows will walk away from him. And he's sitting in the room. Communion takes place. Bread is being passed around. And there's one sitting in the room whose heart is being pulled in the opposite direction. So if you have your Bible, turn with me. Let's read the scripture together. And see what we can learn from this moment of betrayal. From the disciple in Judas. This is John chapter 13. We're going to start at verse 18. I have the words on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning as well. Hope they're large enough. Ready? Here we go. He said this, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread, he's turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he testified very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. If you look at the beginning of verse 18, he's continuing on a thought that he just started in the last paragraph that we enjoyed last Sunday in that sermon. He said that all of them were supposed to be servant-hearted footwashers, and if they would learn to love in obedience like that, there would be a great blessing for them. And immediately he says, but I'm not talking about all of you guys, not all of you. Why? Because one of you doesn't have that kind of a heart. One of you, your heart has been pulled in the opposite direction. So the ability to humble yourself, to take the position of a foot washer and receive that blessing, you won't be able to. And he explains that I'm telling you guys this in advance, so that when one of you walks away, you don't doubt who I am. This is a call back to earlier in John's gospel in chapter 10. He said, I am the good shepherd, and the ones the Father has placed in my hand, no one can steal them away. Jesus says, one of you will walk away, but it's not. It's not because of my lack of power or control. It's not Satan stealing someone out of my hand. This one was always destined to walk away. I still am who I am, and my word is still true. But it breaks his heart. For three years, he, they journeyed together. You imagine the moments that Judas experienced with all of them. That's why I think verse 21 hits hard when it says that he was very troubled. Troubled in his spirit because one of his friends would walk away. Have you ever had a friend do that to you? Have you ever had someone close to you end up being someone who hurt you dearly? He was troubled in his spirit because he knew it was about to happen. He follows it up, continuing the story. This is verse 22 now. Let's keep reading. His disciples, they stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and he said, ask him which one. Ask him, oh. So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who? Who is it? Jesus answered him. It's the one to whom I'll give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas. He was the son of Simon Iscariot. Did you see that in verse 22? The disciples were at a loss. Why were they at a loss? They had no idea. Let that break your heart for a second. They had no idea. Jesus doesn't say one of you has a poor heart, a poor attitude. One of you will walk away. And everyone just turns and looks right at Judas. And Judas goes, guys, come on. Like, no, there's no implication of this. Judas had been faithful to the point where they had no reason to suspect him. So either he's an incredible liar and has faked it for three years, or his faith was just as genuine as all the rest of them. And Satan was able to snatch him away with temptation. A good Christian, for years, sucked into making a mistake from a moment of weakness. They had no idea. Everybody wants to know. Jesus gives this clue to John, who later we find out it's him. Him and Peter are having this quiet conversation. Bug him. Poke the Lord and figure out who. Verse 27 reveals who's truly at work in this story. And verse 27 says this in the next one. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered reminding us that Jesus is leading a battle that isn't against flesh and blood. What's it against? Principalities and powers, darkness of this world. It wasn't Judas that Jesus was fighting against. Judas wasn't his enemy. Who is his enemy? Satan entered him. Since the beginning of time, Jesus and Satan have been at war. And now Satan comes after one of Jesus' best friends and steals him away. So Jesus told him this. What you're about to do, do it quickly. Do it quickly. Was he speaking to Judas was he speaking to Satan? No one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Verse 29, since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the Passover festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, it's night. Now, giving a gift to the poor was customary at Passover, so this made sense. It was an honorable thing to give a charitable gift. So they suspect maybe that's the reason why he stepped out. He runs the finances. Pay attention to the details. Look how verse 30 ends. Don't miss the details. I try to teach the youth group this all the time. Pay attention to the details. The little tiny things that reveal so much about a story. How does verse 30 end? It was... What's Jesus described as over and over and over again in the Gospel of John? He's the light of the world. He's light. And all throughout this gospel, Jesus has been revealing his identity. I am bread, I am resurrection, I am life, and I am light. From John chapter 1. I'm the light that's come into this world, but people have rejected me and they have chosen to live in darkness. I am light. But when Satan enters Judas and he heads out, it's dark out. It's dark out. Satan is going to have his moment. Satan is going to have his moment. Darkness. Jesus dies on the cross and the sky goes. Because light is being extinguished. But was it? But light is being extinguished. Darkness is about to reign. Evil people are going to have their sinful moment. And in this painful moment, as Judas Judas leaves, Jesus is predicting this. The disciples are confused. Now we get a glimpse into one of the most intimate conversations ever recorded in this book that you and I are holding and reading. The next few chapters are Jesus and his best friends. And he's saying goodbye to them. And he's revealing his heart to them. He prays over them and blesses them. This is him. This is dad saying goodbye to his kids. This is dad saying goodbye to the kids. This is it. And you and I get a glimpse into it. And it starts with a prediction of Peter walking away. Jesus is going to look at his closest child, the closest one. Knowing the closest one's going to fail him. This is verse 31 now of John. Read it with me. It'll be up on the screen. When he was gone, so that's Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God's glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, just as I told the Jews. So I'm telling you now where I'm going. You cannot come. Dad's got to go. And you're going to beg to come with me, but Dad has work to do. You have to stay here. You can't come right now. But I'm coming back. Believe me, I'm not leaving. This phrasing, my children, in verse 33, the commenters say that in the Greek, that is such a beautiful and intimate description. There's purpose to that. My kids, I've got to go. I love you and I'll be back, but I've got to go. Why? Because God's got some glory to reveal You see, Jesus is going to reveal the glory of the Father that he would give this incredible gift. And the Father is going to reveal his power and his glory through Jesus because Jesus is going to defeat sin and then be resurrected from the grave. So Jesus is pointing at the Father and saying, Look at him. And the Father is looking at Jesus and pointing at Jesus and saying, Look at him. The glory is the weight of God. When you try to understand and see his glory, it's an all-encompassing thing. And the father is directing all attention at the son as the son is trying to point all attention back at the father. But it means he's got to go. You can't come. Up to this point, he told the Jewish leaders that he was leaving and they would never be able to follow him. But now he says to his own kids, I've got to go. And I imagine as they sit in this room, they were thinking they were going to get to go with him. They heard Jesus say to the crowds that I'm going somewhere, you can't come. And the disciples must have thought, surely we'll get to come. We're his best friends. He's not going to leave us. We'll go with him wherever. If he goes to a different country, we'll come. If he goes to move to a different city we've never been to, we'll come. And with his own kids, he says, you're not going to come right now. But I love you, and I've got a new command for you. And these, you can tell by the smile on my face, these are some of my favorite verses in John's gospel. This is verse 34. Read along. He says to them, A new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. This is an extension of Jesus' love. The phrasing in the original language is Jesus saying, I'm handing you my love and I want you to hand it to other people. I am passing you sacrificial love, so now pass on sacrificial love. I washed feet, you go wash feet. I'll put my life on the line, you put your life on the line. I'm gonna be the king of sacrifice. You pursue the kingdom of sacrifice. I loved lepers, I loved tax collectors. I pursued hurting people. I welcomed in widows and orphans and children. I hand you that love. You carry it with you now. Go love other people just that way. That's not being polite, kind, or courteous. Jesus is about to die for them. Go love other people this way. And if you do it, they will know who you are. If you build it, they will come. They will know who you are. That's going to be the brand on us. You ever been to a branding? It stinks. That's the brand on us. Love. When people see you and see that sacrificial love, they should see it and go, Oh, I know who you belong to. I can see it. Right on your hip, I can see it. You belong to Jesus, don't you? People should look at you and me and the way we live our lives, the way we treat people and do business, The way we lead our families, choose our jobs, give our money, volunteer our time. They should see it and go, you're marked by the king, aren't you? I can tell. And if people look at you and they have no idea who you belong to, you are not loving this way. Thousands of people flocked to Jesus to experience that love because he loved like no one else. You say, well, I can't heal people there and I don't have supernatural ability. I don't know if that's what they're talking about. I don't think Jesus was telling them to go do supernatural things and people will flock to you. I think he wanted them to go love orphans and widows. Go wash people's feet, even people who are much, much below you, and people will know who you are. The book of Acts, jump ahead for just a second to think about this, The book of Acts starts, Peter preaches the gospel message, thousands of people are baptized and it says that they start to sell their possessions. People are giving whatever they have to support each other. Somebody runs out of cash, I go sell my house. Why? Because I love you and I'm going to make sure that you are always taken care of. You go, but I'm not your family. Yes, we are. This is a family and if you hurt, then I hurt and I'm going to be there for you. And people joined the church every single day. Because they looked different than anyone else on the planet. No one loved like that. Nobody. Pharisees would actually take advantage of widows and try to take their homes and take their possessions. And the disciples would sell what they have to support those people. So when I read this scripture... I know that my life has to look radically different than other people. Radically. I want people to look at me at the end of my life, you know, have a big service and people go, man, he was so kind, so nice. (laughs) I want them to say he gave up everything. He held nothing back. I'm not good enough <laughs> to do that. But that's the, that's the goal, that's the target, that's the aim. Darren sacrificed everything. Darren gave up everything. Why? Because he wasn't living for Darren, he was living for him. Simon Peter, being the inquisitive one, has a question for Jesus. In verse 36... He asks him this. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Where's this place? Jesus replied to him, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Really? Really? Will you really lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, before the sun rises tomorrow morning, the the rooster crows when the sun comes up. Or sometimes hours before the sun comes up, if you ever had a rooster on your farm. Before the sun comes up in the morning, Peter. What time of the day is it? It's night. Before tomorrow morning, You'll deny me three times. Lord, I'll die for you. No, you won't. In the next six hours, you're going to fail me. You're not going to die for me. You won't last the night. And we know that if you fast forward in the story, Peter is at the house of the high priest, right? The Sanhedrin is having their meeting. Jesus is in being interrogated. Peter's warming himself around the fire. Just pretend, pretend there's a fire. We're not actually allowed to have fire on stage. Just pretend. And the servant girl looks at him and says, you're one of them. I can tell like your voice. You sound Galilean. You have that, that funny accent from the north. You must be one of them. And Peter has a choice. And one of the servants comes up and says, I was at the garden. I helped arrest Jesus, you were definitely there. I saw you. Peter has a choice. What's his choice? Sacrifice and pay the cost or not. But if he says, yes, that's my master in there, being sentenced to death, I follow him. What risk does Peter run, realistically? There's Jesus In chains. And if Peter goes, Yep, I'm part of that team. Is it his life? What's he giving up? He doesn't know. He is a choice. Himself first. God first. Peter says, I don't know the guy. Never met him. No idea who he is. No idea who he is. No, don't know him. Peter wasn't willing to count the cost to follow the king. And neither am I, the vast majority of the time. Most of our lives, if we're to have an honest conversation, which doesn't take place in church very often... So we like to show the pretty side of ourselves. But the reality is, most of our lives aren't that pretty, are they? Our lives are filled with daily moments of sin and failure. Daily. But you don't see that when the button-up shirts come on on Sunday. We stumble all the time. Because from the moment Adam was faced with that choice in the garden. Pursue God. Or pursue what you can gain, Adam. Yourself or him, Adam, who do you want to serve? Follow the rule maker or create your own rules, Adam? What would you like to do? And Adam goes, Myself. And from that moment, you and I, as sons and daughters of him, are born with that same (laughs) sinfulness. Every day we wake up, God today or me today, depends on the situation. A little bit for God and a little bit for me. Peter's faced with that same choice in that moment, and he struggled. But that's not where the story ends, is it? Even our church family, we've struggled a little bit this past year, haven't we? But do you know what? It's not where the story ends. The grace of reinstatement. There's a big word for you. I like it. The gift of getting a second chance. You read John's gospel and you read it right to the end. And I mean right to the end. The very last story in John. Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee, finds Peter out on his boat. Peter has ran home. He's went back to what he knew. He's not in the city, he's not preaching the gospel, he's ran away. And Jesus goes up to him and does an amazing miracle. A whole bunch of fish, 153, because you have to know every single one of them. And Peter realizes he's back, so what does Peter do? He jumps off the boat to swim to shore. And John makes the comment in the gospel, we weren't that far away from the shore. He could have just waited. That's in there. Go read the story. But Peter jumps off the boat anyway because he's back. He's back. And Peter runs to him. And Jesus says to him, do you love me? Right? Peter failed him. Peter said, I don't even know who you are. And Jesus says, do you love me? He goes, you know that I love you? And Peter, we got work to do. Feed my lambs. But do you really love me? Lord, of course I love you. Take care of my sheep then, if you really love me. And uh, a third question for you. By chance, do you love me? And it said, it hurt Peter. He was hurt. Of course I love you. Why don't you believe me? I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep and follow me then. If you really love me, We got work to do. Follow me. Follow me. Here's where you and I collide with this story. This is the love boat. Why? Because good and well-intentioned you and me's can make terrible mistakes and fall short of God's glory over and over and over again. As a family, we can make those mistakes. And if he can say to Peter, who denied even knowing him three times, if God can say to him, do you still love me? All right, we got work to do. Let's go. Why can't he say that to us? Like, really, why can't he say that to our family here? Do you, Bridgeway, do you love me? Yeah. But do you really? Yes. Do you really? Yeah, then let's go follow me then let's go we got work to do we say but Lord we've made mistakes we deny knowing you we've made mistakes what does Jesus not do in this conversation he doesn't throw all of Peter's mistakes back at him you see that in the story you've read this before Jesus doesn't shame him and guilt him and embarrass him. He simply gives him the grace of a second chance. We get to decide what we do with that second chance. Right now, do you remember last week? There was containers of water on the stage, and some of us were terrified. <laughs> were we not? We thought feet were going in there, and we're like, "What this new pastor? Like, what's he going to do?" whose feet are going in it and whose feet do I have to touch? (laughs) Because I ain't touching no feet. Like, are the elders washing people's feet? Are people washing the elders' feet? Like, I was was concerned when he told me. (laughs) Like, are the pastors washing the church's feet? Like, what's going on here? That's a symbol that Jesus was willing to do anything, even if he had to humble himself to the point of the Gentile slave, right? The most embarrassing, the most humiliating task that a slave would have. He was creator of the universe. He spoke the universe into motion and he was willing to humble himself to nothing. Even death on a cross, it says in Philippians chapter two. If you and I are willing to humble ourselves to that point and extend that kind of love, then this game isn't over. Then we have a second chance. But we have to commit. Lord, Peter says, I'm willing to die. Are you really? Are (laughs) Are you ready to go all in? And that's the question. That's the question to you and me this morning. Are we ready to go? Because we can continue to wallow in the mistakes of the past, which is natural and it's tempting. Or we can try to pretend like they never happened. Well, that didn't work for Peter in the boat in Galilee. He wasn't being an effective disciple trying to stay away from Jesus. What if Jesus says, Bridgeway, I love you and you love me. Let's go change the world together. What if that's our story now? People talk about the Peter Nickel days of Bridgeway. You remember those days? Do you know what we're going to talk about in 20 years from now? These days, now. This is what we're going to talk about. Not because of who's standing here, makes no difference at all, but because we went through pain and we as a church decided to pursue him at any cost. And whether there's 500 people in this room or just us, I don't know how many will be there in 20 years, but this city's not going to be the same. They're going to tell the story. Do you remember when Bridgeway came alive? Do you remember when Bridgeway started changing this community? I remember those days. That's going to be the story they tell, and it's going to be us now. Why? Because we're going to get out of the boat, we're going to swim to the shore, and we're going to get to work. I saw you walk forward and wash your hands. You're ready to do this. We have this new pastor here that keeps telling me this church is just full of potential. It's full of potential. It's ready to go. Let's go then. And it's going to take you and I loving one another. It's not a grandiose vision. I don't need to introduce a a statement of some kind. Let's just love one another. And then let's carry that everywhere we go. To the point where it's so visible, it's like a brand on the hip. Next month, I want to baptize people. Do you know why? Because I think there's people in this church family that love God and who are just waiting for God to say to them, let's go, let's go. You've been sitting and waiting and listening, and you've been in your boat, and you've been fishing. It's time to get to work. Let's go now. And I think there's people in the church who have been nervous to share their testimony. Nervous to commit to leading. But we need leadership in this church. And there's good people in this church who could help lead. And they need to share their testimony, and they need to help lead now. Not in five years from now, now. And they're sitting in this room listening to me, and they won't do it, but they're going to. They're going to, because we're going to get to work, and it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to cost us, but we're going to do it. So sometime soon, people are going to get in the water and declare, I follow the king. And people are going to stand at this mic, and they're going to tell their testimony and say, I follow the king. And it's going to happen soon, because we're going to get to work. Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave us, His one and only Son to save us. And whoever believes in Him will live forever. Do you believe that? The worship team is going to come on up, they're going to lead us in one last song. I'm so excited about where we're going. It has nothing to do with who Don is or who I am. I'm just so excited about this family. I'm so excited about what God does in people's lives and what I see already him doing in people's lives. Get excited, church. We've got a second chance, and we're not going to squander it. Not a chance are we going to squander this. Heavenly Father, I love you, and I admit that I constantly fall short of your glory. My heart is broken and sinful, and my attitude is shaky, even on a good day and i know that even in the past where jesus my sins have been uh, <laughs> they've kept me from being an effective minister of the gospel but i believe so strongly that you have given me a second chance and you continue to as you forgive my sin and you're calling my family to live in their second chance and for it to be real and be now the young and the old the teenagers and the moms Grandpa and grandmas, the dads, it's happening now. The young adults, the orphans and the widows in this family, everyone in this room, everyone listening at home. Why not now? What if we took the love that you, Jesus, have extended to me over my years on this earth and what if I started passing that out to people sacrificially? What could you do? Holy Spirit, what could you do? Thank you for your transforming love. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Thank you for the gift of life, eternal and life now. You are worthy, Lord Jesus, of all of our praise. I love you. Amen.